You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled Moments and Prosperity from the sermon series Joseph. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Think about this. What's easier to handle, prosperity or poverty? What's easier to handle, Great times or difficult times? Well, that's an easy one. Let's stick at prosperity versus adversity or um, lack of times. What's easier to handle? You ever thought about that? I know all of us would probably say, well, I would prefer the prosperity times and just find out. Thomas Carlyle said this, that adversity is hard on a man, but for Every one man who can stand prosperity, there are 100 that can stand adversity. What he's saying is, is that it's, it's just a lot easier to deal with adversity and to live with adversity, to work through adversity, than to stand when there's great prosperity. And I, and I, you know, I think that's kind of true. Prosperity probably ruins more people than difficulty ever does. And there's plenty of biblical examples for it as well. I mean, if you just consider, uh, I could give you a bunch, but let me just give you three that are fairly close in proximity, is King Saul. When King Saul was appointed king by God, what did he do? It says that he was so humbled by the opportunity and felt so inadequate that he literally was hiding among the people and they had to call him out. But it didn't take long, did it, where pride began to take over his life and he became so self-sufficient and ultimately wanted to kill his successor, David. King David, he was so pure in the beginning that God called him a man after his own heart. But after he was in power for a while, uh, power for a while, he was on the throne. What happened? Well, he ended up wanting to kill. Uh, he ended up killing and murdering uh, the husband of Bathsheba, whom he had an affair with. And obviously, he repented and he came around. But as he ascended to the throne, that was a very difficult time for most of David's life. Then you got Solomon, whose son, who began his political career, king of Israel, in a very humble position. God comes to him and says, what do you want? And he says, you know what, Lord? I, 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 he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for prestige. He didn't ask for power. He just simply said, Lord, would you just give me wisdom to lead the people that you love and, and I love so much? And God says, you got it. And it didn't take him long to where he'd become filled with pride. He'd become filled with cynicism. And he reigned for a while and basically generally become selfish and foolish and indulgent. It's not easy to handle prosperity, position, and prominence. And most of us could probably name some people who we've seen, man. They made it through adversity and they came out really strong at the end. Uh, but prosperity brings with it a subtle seduction that really it can easily begin to erode away at character and the values and cause people to really uh, miss their spiritual and moral equilibrium in their life. But not Joseph. He's this incredible example of a man who handles fame, he handles wealth, he handles power, and he achieves almost instant prosperity. He achieves, al achieves almost instant position and power, and yet he was able to maintain his walk with God. And I think this is kind of important for some of us because as I look around, you know, we're a f you know, there's a lot of people that are probably, I don't know, but I'm going to assume there's a number of us in this room that are fairly prosperous. 
I mean, truthfully, if we compare ourselves to the world, we've talked about it before, all of us in this room are prosperous. But there's probably a number of us in this room that really we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing pretty good. And I know there's some of you that are even younger or, or some of you that are older and you're kind of at the top of your game in your, in your workplace. And some of you are moving along in your workplace and you're kind of your, your place in the workplace is kind of your trajectory is up and to the right. You're gaining in prosperity. You're gaining in influence around people. And, and, and those times can make, you, make us somewhat vulnerable. And I want to look at uh, Joseph's life because he gives us such an incredible example. He doesn't change. He simply becomes more godly. And there's some things in his life that take place. And we gotta, I want us to learn from that to make sure that we kind of keep our spiritual equilibrium in the good times. Because it's amazing, in the bad times, what are you doing? And you're on your face, you're on your knees, you're pursuing, you're seeking God. But sometimes when there's prosperity and there's affluence and there's influence that we have in power and position, we can miss it. If you would, I want you to look at uh, chapter 41, but look at the verse uh, at the end of chapter 40, uh, verse 23. Joseph, as we're going to see in chapter 41, he's 30 years old now. He's been in prison for about 11 years. Remember, he gave, we talked about this two weeks ago, he gave the dream, he, or actually a few weeks ago, he talked about and he gave the dream to the cupbearer and the baker. And as they're leaving, he says, hey, don't forget about me. Would you kind of put in a good word for me? And then this is the kind of almost the epitaph. It says this, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. It doesn't stop there. It's almost like it wants to underscore this and and kind of highlight it. It says he forgot him. Now you pick it up in chapter 41. It says, now two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. So we understand that Joseph has been in prison for 11 years. He helps these guys get out, who are one of them is going to be very close to Pharaoh. And he asks him to remember him, and he is forgotten. And now two years later, it says, Pharaoh has a dream. This is like the dark before the dawn. 13 years that this is what Joseph has had to put up with. He's been in prison, and he's been a great prisoner there. He's helped administrate and organize, but he's been forgotten. He probably thinks God's forgotten him. He knows man has forgotten. And then all of a sudden, there's the dawn. And what's powerful about this, friends, is this becomes right here, this chapter, the fulfillment of the dream that we read about a couple of months ago with uh, Uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And so now he is called up before Pharaoh. He's brought before Pharaoh. This is the turning point in verses 41, in chapter 41, verses 1 through 36. He was in prison in Egypt. And so Pharaoh has these two troubling dreams. And here's the dreams. He can't shake them. They become so vivid, and and he can't get them off his mind. His first dream was that there were seven fat and sleek cows who were devoured by seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows that devoured devoured them, uh, they stayed skinny. And then he has this second dream that he can't shake. There's these seven plump, healthy stalks of grain that are swallowed up by seven heads of grain that were thin, and they were scorched by the winds. They ate them up, the good ones, and they still stayed kind of limp and skinny stalks. 
as well. So Pharaoh, he calls in his counselors. He was like, I got to know what these dreams are about. So he calls in his counselors, his brain trust. And they come in and, and they can't reveal the, the dream's meanings to him. Although they're skilled in the worldly ways, and this is a great principle because a lot of you work with some pretty smart people. And they have a lot of, uh, just a lot of brilliance and a lot of understanding about a lot of things. But ultimately, there are things that those people won't be able to understand. And that's what's happening here with Pharaoh, is he's dealing with these people that doesn't, they, they don't have a spiritual acumen. And they can't figure it out. They can't give the interpretation to Pharaoh for the dreams that he has that he knows mean something. So get this, all of a sudden, the cupbearer, he's probably in this group of trusted people, and he goes, ah, guess what? By the way, how could I have forgotten? This is the guy that got me out of jail. There's a guy, he's a Hebrew guy, he's a young guy, he's a good-looking guy. He told me my dream, and he told me the baker's dream two years ago, and both of those dreams came to pass. So what happens? Pharaoh orders him. He says, you bring that guy up here. So now get this. This is a day like any other day for Joseph. There's no advance warning. There's no press clippings to announce anything. There's no hope of release when he gets up. It's just another day in the dungeon. And all of a sudden, he hears somebody call him, Joseph, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. He goes, whoa, you're kidding me. This is my opportunity. And verse 14 of chapter 41 says, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came up before Pharaoh. Just a point of application there. What do you think that means? God doesn't like facial hair, mustaches, or beards, okay? So if you're here, I just... uh, no, it, does, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that he's in there for two years and he's starting to look like Forrest Gump, you know, when he's on his long run and his beard's all gnarly, he's dirty and, and uh, probably pretty smelly. So before he goes to the palace, he's got to change it up. But imagine this. He goes from the prison to the palace in a moment's time. And Pharaoh says to him, listen, I had this dream. And he begins to relate to him about the cows and the, the seven cows and eating one another and the, and the seven stalks of grain eating one another. So Joseph, picture him. He's in this palace. He's with all these privileged people. He's with all of these people with great position and power. And probably some of the people uh, that couldn't even interpret the dreams, he's standing before them. And, I, and I'm sure there's probably some kind of a condescending attitude that is this young man of 30 is standing before these people. And they're thinking, I hope he doesn't get this. You know, make us look bad. But he's standing there and Pharaoh says, would you give me the dream? I hear you can interpret dreams. Can you tell me what this means? I, I think it's interesting because we see this throughout Joseph's life. Joseph didn't stand there and go, well, you know, Pharaoh, before I interpret your dream, I, d- I just want to say a word about your cupbearer over there. I'm highly, highly offended. He is probably the most ungrateful, forgetful man that I have ever seen. And I just, you know, listen, if you're putting your trust in him, good luck. So he could have had a shot, he had an opportunity to take a shot at this guy, but he doesn't. He could have said something too, like, you know, listen, uh, Pharaoh, I've been known to unravel some pretty tough dreams. I'm your man. But he doesn't. He doesn't take a shot at anybody. He doesn't promote himself. He simply says this 
in verse 16, he said, I can't do it by myself, but God will tell you what it means. I love that. See, Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't focus on a slight, but he leaves the matter in God's hand, and he just simply submits himself, says, you know what? God's going God's to tell you. So Pharaoh relays the dreams to him, and Joseph gets such a clear, concise statement about what it means, and he basically says this. Listen, Pharaoh, the dreams are basically two of the same thing. Here's what it means. The seven represents seven years. The cows represent famine and or, or, or prosperity and famine. What's going to happen is, is for seven years, God says, and it's coming quick, uh, there's going to be seven years of prosperity. I mean, it's going to be prosperous. And then he says, following that, right after that, those are going to be seven years of famine. And he goes on to explain to him what that means. He says, here's what you need to do. So now he's kind of giving him counsel along with this dream. And he says, uh, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to find someone that can administrate this. And this administrator, what I recommend that he does is that he has every person, because, I mean, there's just going to be prosperity across the country. I mean, everywhere, everyone. Have everyone give one-fifth of their goods to the government. And if you do that, because what this dreams are meaning is that everything that you save in that first seven years of prosperity, it's going to be devoured in the second seven years. So you want to save as much as you can, and you want to administrate it, and you want to organize it. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, whoa. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all the officials, and what did they do? They said, this is such a good plan. You know what? You demand. And so Joseph, right there, what happens? He gets promoted. I mean, imagine that. In a moment's time, there's promotion, there's prominence, and there's reward. And the story of Joseph's uh, prominence and and everything that he's given is amazing. And, And don't forget, loved ones, hear me. God can change anything in your life in a moment. He can do anything in a split second. Well, yeah, but it took him 13 years to get there. Okay, but there's probably, we've talked about that, we're going to talk about today. There's a reason for that. But everything, if you're despondent, if you're depressed, if you're discouraged about where you are or where you want to go and why you're not getting there, you've got to hear this. God can change anything. I use the term, God can Turn the page in your life in any situation in a moment. See, Pharaoh sees the Spirit of God in him, and he offers him the job of prime minister, number two in charge. Do do you imagine? I mean, mean, that's like someone coming over from Australia for, for 10 or 11 years, and all of a sudden they become like vice president of the United States. I know it couldn't happen because of our standards, but I mean, it's, it's, it's that big. This isn't his country, but God raises him up. And those 13 years that we have seen were simply the preparation. God was preparing him, Joseph, for what he had prepared for him to step into and to walk into in this place and moment of time. God was forging him for this. He had forged, he had been forging his life and building his life. At age 30 now, he becomes the second most powerful, prominent man in the nation of Egypt. And so what does God do? God is fulfilling his dreams in God's time, in God's way. 
for God's purposes, and guess what? It's all good. It's all good. Hear me, young people. Hear me, older people. Don't give up on what God has spoken to you for your future because he can fulfill it. Now, look at the symbols of, of what God does, what God gives him through Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm going to give you authority. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. <laughs> He's 30. He's been in prison. He's been a slave. God lifts him up. The whole land was under his control. Why do you think that is? Well, if you remember, what did Joseph do? He meets Potiphar in chapter uh, 39, and what happens? He says, I'm going to put you in charge of my household. He's totally faithful with what was given him there. And then later in the prison, he becomes an administrator for the prison guard, and he begins to establish and organize things there. He's faithful with where he was planted. He was faithful to do with where God places him. Remember what Jesus said? He is faithful with a little. I'll give to him and so he can be faithful with much. And that's really almost the story and the principle of Joseph's life. If you're faithful with where you're planted, if you're faithful with a little, guess what? God's going to give you more. And then he gets some bling bling. It says Pharaoh, he took the ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's he put the, took the ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. I mean, that's a big deal. You know what that's like? It's almost as if the, the, the Pharaoh is saying, here's, here's my American Express gold card. I mean, there's no limit on it. Just go ahead and use it wherever you want for whatever you need. I mean, he can go around and he's got, he's a rich man now. He can do whatever. And then he's given new threads. You, you, you remember, don't you, that Joseph lost two coats. First coat he lost was the beautiful one that his father gave him. And then the second one he lost was when his father gave it to him and his brother stole it. And then the second one was when uh, Potiphar's wife ripped it off him to try and accuse him of sexual uh, misconduct. But here's the powerful thing. God uses Pharaoh to give him a brand new coat. And here's the principle. God will never take something from your life that he won't eventually replace it with something better. So he gets this new coat. You see this principle in the life of Job. In Job chapters 1 and 2, what happens? Everything gets removed from Job's life. And then by chapter 42, we see God says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. And everything that he lost was returned. The psalmist said that, that Joseph was held in a chain of shackles around his neck in the dungeon. So what is given to him now? Some more bling bling. And it says he's given gold chain that represents aristocracy and power. God replenishes and replaces. He's given a new ride. He's given a second, the second chariot. So, man, he's a bad dude. He's going through the towns, and it's like the, the, the people are shouting as he's coming in, make way, make way. Man, the dude's a celebrity. He carries clout. I mean, this is pretty heady stuff for a 30-year-old. But why is he able to handle it, do you think? Because he walks with God. He keeps it in perspective. He understands it's all from him. He's given a new name. His new name means revealer of secrets or God speaks through him. Here's an interesting thing because, see, the name Joseph was probably tarnished throughout Egypt. Why? Because word probably would have spread. Everybody, most people would have known, oh, that's the guy that, 
you know, was uh, sexually advancing toward Potiphar's wife and had to go to jail for it. So what does they do? What does is, what is the Pharaoh do? He says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to take care of your past. I'm not going to have that hanging over your head. I'm not going to have that following you. So he gives them a new name. Here's what I love about that. Because you know what? They, tried, they could smear his name. They could tarnish his name. But they could never break down or tarnish or destroy his integrity or his character. And hear me, loved ones. They can, if, if, if you live with character and integrity, they can, they, can, they can mess with your name. But they can't take that away from you. And that's what's happening here. Pharaoh says, I'm going to build on who this godly man is. Yeah. See, when you become a Christ follower, some of you may not know this, but there's, I think it's three places in the, in the New Testament where it says that when you come to Jesus Christ, he gives you a new name. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe I'll go from Terry to Bob. I don't know. But uh, whatever that name is, it's probably something much fancier than that. But every one of us gets a new name. You know why? Because now we have a new identity in who Jesus Christ is. It's not our past. The, 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 the Terry that I am and, and was is no longer relevant as who God sees me and is doing his work in and through me. That's who I am. That's who I'm becoming. And so that's how God works. That's what he's doing in Joseph's life. Now, there's some pitfalls and there's some dangers with prosperity and prominence and, and those things that come our way. I mean, probably most of us, if I said, make a list of some of the problems and pitfalls that can come with quick prominence, prosperity, and influence, most of us would probably say, well, you know, you could become prideful. And prideful is so, well, it's so insidious. It's so easy to take over or to become part of our lives and we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it, but generally the people around us will. I mean, Solomon said it this way, that, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And isn't it so easy when you achieve something fairly quickly and everybody's clapping, everybody's applauding you and patting you on the back and telling you how good you are. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy sometimes to begin to feel just a little superior, a little bit better. Another pitfall would probably be indulgence. Luke 16, Jesus talks about it too. tells the story of a rich man who ate uh, from the finest food and he lived in luxury, but he ignored the beggar who went through his garbage for a meal. He'd walk by him every day. One of the sobering stats of, of, of in, in life that if you do some research on it, you'll see it. Did you know that rich people, really wealthy people, really aren't that generous? I, I, not all, it's a gen but, but uh, if you did some, you look at the United States. I'm always amused, and, and forgive me, but this is probably being, you could say, well, you're kind of being judgmental. Well, okay. Um, I, I see it more of a judgment. Uh, but call it what you want. But I always find it interesting, you know, when these professional athletes that are making, you know, 20, 30, 50 million dollars a year, and all of a sudden the, the headlines in the paper or some place in the newspaper say, oh, Joe Blow gave $20,000. He, he's, making, he's making that probably in five minutes if he's playing in the NBA. You know what I mean? It's not like that's that generous. Because, see, sometimes we think these, these sums are really big. But most of the money that is given to charities is given by not, not the wealthy, but the less wealthy. And so we can become sometimes just a little bit indulgent. I, um, 
it was a couple weeks ago I had just mentioned in passing that, um, you know, we're, we, we got some kind of big ticket items that we're doing and in our church that we just got to spruce it up. We got to take care of some things. We got, you know, we got to do a parking lot. Some of it's got to be um, excavated and uh, re-rolled and resealed and everything. It's going to, it's about $25,000. And not to mention a bunch of other projects that we're doing. And I just passed, I, I just kind of uh, mentioned it two weeks ago at the end of service uh, that if anybody feels generous and if the Lord would speak to you to just give a gift um, if something just to help us, uh, help us with it. We're you know we're fortunate as a church. God's blessed us that we don't have to sit and beg for money to do things. But I also realize there's people that are gifted um, in giving. It, it is a gift of giving, and there's people that are prosperous that can give. And so I just kind of put that out there and thank you to those who have given. Uh, uh, greatly appreciated. But it was interesting because last week. Uh, that was two weeks ago last week, there was a young man that came up to me, and he goes, hey, PT, d- didn't you just say last week that, you know, you, you, you know, we could give money toward the renovation and some of the projects that you're doing? I said, yeah, I said, yeah, sure. And he says, well, here's mine. He gives me a yellow envelope, and, and this is a copy of it. And uh, he gave me a yellow envelope and just said, you know, I just, I just want to do this to help the church. And I thought, I, I just got to tell you how much that blessed me. I mean, anytime anybody gives anything, it's a blessing. But to have a young 15-year-old come up and go, you know, I just want to do this. That, that, that speaks, I mean, because I don't think he's very prosperous. You know, I don't know that he even has a job, but he says, I want to give this to help. And it's so easy once we get that we can hang on and not be quite as giving. Now, how about false security as a pitfall? You put your hope in your riches. I mean, we all know we shouldn't. Um, but but it, it's, it's, it's easy to begin to move toward that. Now, hear me, and I'm not saying you just make it and give it all away. We don't even do that as a church. Save, plan for retirement, get ready. But there still has to be something that, that's not my security. Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke about this successful farmer who he's got these big barns, they're overflowing, and he says, what am I going to do? I still got more to put away. So he says, aha, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store up more grain. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have more, more, more. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going to kick back and have a good time and enjoy it. You know what God does? He knocks on his, he, he, he comes to him probably in a dream, and he says, oh, by the way, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And then who's going to get all of these things that you've been saving? And he says, for a man's life does not consist in his possessions. Security can do that to us. We can begin to focus so much on what we have. You know what? Security can also do another thing. It can make us feel like we're untouchable. We have prominence. We have position. We have affluence. And you know what? Nobody can touch us. And here's a real recent example. Uh, Just this past week, you probably read about Robert Kraft, who is the owner of the New England Patriots, a billionaire. He's a very charitable man. He gives, uh, has has blessed uh, the New England community and and many other places with his philanthropy. But what happened this week? 
And, and, and see, here's, here's how I think, and probably you too. Again, it's not, I don't think he's being judgmental. It's just going, wow, wow. We have this hashtag Me Too movement that is going on and that is true and it's right and needs to, we need to understand it. Did you know that one of the biggest movements in the church today is the um, uh, marketing of women? Where they take women and they, they steal them, they get them from other countries. And then they sell them on the market. They use them for sexual exploitation. And that's what was happening in Florida. It's happening all over. But uh, they had this thing going on in Florida where there was a lot of these um, uh, massage parlors or places like that where they would go and buy these women from another country and they would set them up as prostitutes. So now here's this man whose face is all over the newspapers and the TVs during the football season, during the Super Bowl, one of the biggest things in the world that anybody ever sees. And guess what? They found, they have video, uh, this is the police, okay? Now he's totally, to be fair, he's categorically denied it through a spokesperson. But the police go on and have publicly said, we got videotape, we have records. See, I think that's what happens when you become prominent, when you, when you move toward po- uh, prosperity and great influence, that you begin to believe, we can begin to believe that we're untouchable. And, you know, scale it down. Nobody in here is a billionaire, I don't think. But scale it down. You, you can begin to believe that you're untouchable. I think another pitfall of prosperity would be Probably the biggest is distraction for a Christ follower. When things aren't going well, it's so, or excuse me, when things start going well, it's so easy to do what? To get busy, to get involved in so many different things that pretty soon, you know what? You don't have time for God. You don't have time for church. You don't have time for developing relationships and connections within church. And you know me, I don't, I don't do a big attendance thing. I mean, I'm you know, I don't think you should be here every Sunday. But some people begin to get so busy, they begin to move away. And then their spiritual resources begin to become depleted. And then Satan has this propensity to, to distract you in your prosperity and everything that you can do, that you become a shell of the person that you once were. And you don't even begin to recognize it. Paul said it this way when he was talking to his young son in the faith. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But you know, if you got food, if you got clothing, be content. Joseph gives us a great example. He was diligent for the whole time that he was in prison. Wherever he went, he blossomed. Wherever God placed him, he did what was right. And Pharaoh saw this. Everyone in Pharaoh's court saw just how strong Joseph was. And and here's a great principle for you. You build your character while you're biding your time. Build, Build your character while you're biding your time. Because he's so often, we're always waiting. We're going to say, well, I'll do this then. I'll get better then when I'm in a better position. And God says, no, I want to see what you're going to do with where you are. 
It says in uh, Genesis 39 and then Genesis 41, it says that Joseph, there was nobody that was more discreet. Joseph was a man who was discreet and a man of discretion. I think I mentioned this a few months ago. Simply what that means is he's a man that was able to make decisions under pressure. When he was faced with great pressure, when the heat was on, guess what he did? He made great decisions. He faces Potiphar's wife. What does he do? He doesn't stand around and negotiate. He doesn't stand around and try and witness to her. He runs. See, that's a pretty good decision under pressure. When he's in prison, he doesn't mope and he doesn't complain and talk about his offense and how he's been mistreated. He begins to say, God, what do you want to do? How can I work here? How can I be a part of making this situation and this place better and me better? And that's what he does. See, sometimes we forget that when we're on the way to our dreams, when we're living in the purposes and toward the purposes that God has for us, there will always be testing. We don't like that truth, but there will always be testing. Your dreams and the purposes that God has for you will always be tested. And you go, well, why is that? Why can't they just come? Because God wants to align or match your character with your dreams. One of the big things right now in leadership is the importance of, I'm reading about it all the time, it's character. There's a lot of people that can get to the top, but it's only character that will keep you there and keep you going forward. But a lot of people in our culture today don't understand that. Character is really the foundation that keeps you wherever you are. I said it before and I'll say it again. God is more concerned about who we're becoming than what we're doing or where we're going. And mark that, loved ones, on every one of your lives. God is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you're doing or where you're going. And Joseph understood that. He said, I know, I got this dream thing. I hope it's going to come sometime. But until then, I'm going to let God work in me and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. See, tests remind us also that God's dreams are bigger than we are. Good dreams, God's purposes in your life will lead every one of us. If we understand God's got something for us, it's going to lead us to the simple conviction that I need God. And I know that God's going to process me and test me Think of Joseph. What did he do for 13 years? Every time you talk about it, every time we look at him, it always comes out at the other end. It's about God. It's about God, what God's doing. See, for some of us, maybe your dream, maybe your purpose, your greatest hope in this room is you want to have a great marriage. You want to build a ministry. You want to raise great kids. You want to be financially free. You want to establish a business that's going to be thriving. It's not only going to make a lot of money for you and the people around you, but you can also use it to bless other people. See, all of those are great, wonderful, God-purposed dreams, and we could fill in the blank with a lot of others. But don't think for a moment, loved ones, that those won't get tested. And what are you going to do with them? I, don't, I think you're smart enough. I don't need to make a lot of application on that. But if you say, I'm going to have a great marriage, I'm going to do everything I can to have a great marriage, you don't think that's going to get tested? Make that declaration to your wife or to your husband and see what happens tomorrow morning or sometime this week. 
all of a sudden, you'll be wondering, well, how come we're so ticked at each other? How come, how come she's so sideways or he's so sideways with me? Make a decision. We're going to get out of debt. We're going to really save and get ready for the future. And we're going to have money so that we can bless others. You don't think that's going to get tested? You're going to be moving. You're going to be saving in your savings. You're going to give more money away. And you're going to be getting out of debt. And all of a sudden, you need a new car. And one says, you know what? Let's go get like one of those old Ford Pintos. We can get one for $500. We just saw one the other day. That's what I thought about and it was really kind of cute. We used to be ugly, now it's kind of cute, and probably worth a lot more money. Uh, but but one, one, no, let's just let's five hundred. Let's get a Ford Pinto, so we can reach our goals. The other one goes, "Oh my, are you kidding me? Look at the money we got now. Let's go get a let's go get a Cadillac Escalade." And then pretty soon, now you're not only dealing with the the perfect great marriage. Now you're dealing with your your purposes and your goals financially. And see, that's what the enemy does. That's what God will allow to test us because he wants to see you get to where you're going, but he wants to see you get there with character. And that's why the daily disciplines that we talk about, loved ones, become so important that way because you're hearing every day, you're getting your marching orders from the Lord. And he's the one that says, oh, you know, I sure love you and, and you're doing good, but remember your, your purpose is to get out of debt. Remember your purpose is to grow your marriage. And I'm going to test that. That's what happens with Joseph, but he passes. And here, well, what I, you know, with Joseph, what he does is, is when he when he gets when he begins to bless others, he when when he gets prosperous and he gets his position, it's to benefit others. In chapter 41, verse 57, and through there, you'll see that. Joseph used his position to benefit others. He looked out for the people of Egypt. It says this on, in, in, uh, look at verse, um, verse, uh, verse 53. It says, In the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. It says, There was famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt there was food. Extreme hunger came to the land of Egypt, and the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Because the famine had spread across the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses, and he sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And then he says this, get this, he says, it wasn't just about those people. He says the whole world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain for the famine was severe over the whole world. Notice what Joseph does. He's intentional and he's purposeful. He doesn't just get the dream kind of fulfilled, but then he engages in it to see it even grow bigger and grander for God's purposes. If you read there, if you note it, notice all the verbs, the action words. It says, Joseph was industrious. He went out, he traveled, he collected, he stored up, and he kept records. He did what he was supposed to do in the seven years of prosperity, and then he did what he could do also in the seven years of famine. Joseph delegates. Joseph takes care of. Joseph sets up so that he could take care of the people around him. And sometimes, loved ones, guess what? Your dream's going to take hard work. The dream and the purpose that God gives you, it's going to take work. 
You can't just go pray it into existence while prayer is important. We see with Joseph it's going to take some work. Second, another thing I want you to notice here is that he remembered God publicly and he gave him thanks. In verses 50 and 52, it says, this two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. The firstborn son was Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. And the second son, he named him Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Well, how does that declare God publicly? Every time he spoke one of his son's name, every time he introduced his son to somebody, guess what? You know what he's saying? God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. He's declaring what God has done publicly, unashamedly. Wouldn't you agree, loved ones, that we need more people in the, in, in the commerce, in the public square, that people that can stand up in a God-honoring, not religious mean-spirited way and just say, I know God, he's been good to me. He's made me forget all my past and he's given me a great future and time of purpose. Don't we need that today? Can I tell you something? That's what we do. That's what we can do in our community. Wherever you work, wherever you go to school, students, wherever you go, you can be the one that says, you know what? God's been so good to me. And that might open a door. You don't got to push it open, but God will open a door. Well, tell me about this God that's been so good to you. How has he been good? That's what Joseph did every time he mentioned his son's name. See, when God promotes you, when God blesses you with prosperity, you get a new house, you get a new car, it's easy to go, wow, I've been working hard, I deserve this, instead of saying, you know what, I've worked hard, but look how good God has been to me. Look what God's done for me. Look how God's blessed me. I'm so thankful. He's given me the breath to do what I do. What a blessing. Our family is working to squeeze in the time to do our uh, game nights, um, trying to get really consistent with it. It was over a year ago when we kind of started. At, uh, the first game we played, of course, was Monopoly. And... Um, I love Monopoly, so I said, that's where we'll start. <laughs> and uh, it kind of fits my personality. We were playing and rolling the dice, and all of a sudden I land on, you know, if you, some of you probably don't know much about Monopoly. Some of you do, then you'll understand. I land on Marvin Gardens, and I buy it. It's primo property. I go around, I land on a light blue, Connecticut. And then I come around again, and I land on another yellow one, and it's Venter Avenue, and Go around again, I get another blue one, and then I go around again. Everybody's buying stuff all over the place. It just so happens I'm getting these monopolies. So I land, I get the third yellow one, and I got a monopoly. And now I'm starting to kind of <laughs> kind of gloat. <laughs> Look at me. How you guys doing? And my family hates that. Because <laughs> they've seen it for, well, for as long as they've known me. And uh, we're playing, and so I'm going, and, and finally I get some houses on there, and I go, oh, by the way, that's 260. Rent's 260 for landing on me. Everybody get that? That's going to be 260. Well, I get more, and pretty soon I get more houses, and then the yellows are up to almost, they're $1,000. I go, that's 1000 That's $1,100. Oh, you don't have it? Okay, just give me everything you got. 
And uh, we're going on like that. And I just realized I am becoming a monopoly juggernaut, juggernaut in this game. I am blowing them out of the water. And Trina really tries to beat me because she hates when I start acting like that. Because I was getting more and more powerful. And pretty soon, guess what? I was taking and I was raking. I was raking in it. And here's my signature move. And my family does not like that. And so I win, and I'm pretty excited, you know, and adrenaline's pumping. And, you know, they go and they go watch TV and kind of mumble as they're going away that I probably cheated because I was the banker. And, 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 you know, here's the deal. I told you about when Isaac beat me. This was before then. And uh, we're not going to revisit him beating me. Because uh, he did legitimately. But I put it away. They said, I said to him, I said, you know what? Who's going to put it away? Because I thought as the winner, I should, you know, not have to do it. They go, well, Dad, you won. That's your reward. <laughs> so I start putting away all my money, all my properties, all my hotels, all my houses, stack it in the box and put it away and go upstairs. And I thought Trina would go, Carl, you're the greatest player. <laughs> and she was in bed and facing the other way. <laughs> and um, it wasn't very celebrative for me. <laughs> but I thought, you know, life is like that, isn't it? I mean, we can get so caught up in what we do. We can become just a little proud of what we have, what we've accumulated, what we're accomplishing. And you know, here's the deal. <laughs> it, it all goes back in the box. I was telling a memorial service yesterday. I looked at him and I said, you're all going to die. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but it's true. Can I tell you something? You're all going to go back in a box. And it really doesn't matter what you've got. What matters is what you've done with it here. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your influence. I'm talking about your purpose. I'm talking about how you work with people. And I am talking about your resources a little bit. But what ultimately matters is the relationships you have here and your relationship with God. Are you going to leave this life with character and integrity so that when people remind you, they don't remind you of being, you know, some jerk at the Monopoly table, but they remind, they, they, they're mindful that, man, they have the Spirit of God in them and they love people and they bless people. Because I see our church like that, loved ones, that again, God's calling us that we got to get back like Joseph. He provided for everybody. I don't mean like we're going to be a welfare system, but we got to be thinking about how do we reach our community. Touch them for Jesus because we have taken care of what God's given us and we bless them and we meet their needs. But it starts with each one of them.